Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16 is for the whoever's. Wherever you came from, whatever you've done, and whoever you are. I want you to know that according to John 3.16, right now you have an arms wide open welcome from God. Anybody, everybody, anywhere, whoever. John 3.16 isn't just for kids. It's for hurting mothers, broken fathers, and all of us. It isn't just for t-shirts and tattoos and bumper stickers and bookmarks. Because John 3.16 is not a decoration. It's a declaration. John 3.16 is an invitation to redemption, reconciliation, forgiveness, and eternal life. John 3.16 reminds us that the story of God isn't about a few special people making it up to God, but God making his way down to the rest of us, to the whoever's. John 3.16 is what God thinks about you. You are loved, welcomed, valued, seen, and you are invited. You are not half-loved, you are not unseen, and you are not forgotten. John 3.16 is for the whoever's. John 3.16 is for you. John 3.16 is for me. John 3.16, the rudder of the church. Bless you. That was like perfectly timed. (laughs) It's good to see everybody this morning. I'm Pastor TJ. I'm the lead pastor here. It's good to see everybody online. It's great to see so many people faithful here and online. Uh, I want to encourage you. Every once in a while, we all lose our way, don't we? And sometimes as churches, we lose our way. And I'm grateful that our God always brings us back into alignment with his heart. How many of you know that when we're in alignment with God's heart, what we do as a church is blessed? It is. Sometimes we want to do our own thing and we ask God to bless what we're doing. And sometimes he does that because it aligns with his heart. But the better way is to figure out what's close to God's heart and for us as a church to be that close. How many of you know that lost people are close to God's heart? God is in the people business. And if God is in the people business, we as churches have to be in the people business. We do. I get excited at the fact that we have an opportunity as a church to see lost people come to know him. Um, It's spring, man. I saw a brother. He he had shorts on today, man. That was beautiful. I'm a short guy. I I mean, not like short in stature, you know, like maybe Chef Tony, but I'm not going to talk about that today. I love shorts. I love the springtime because to me, spring speaks of new life. And for us as a church, I start to get amped up and excited when the spring comes because we, we get to see an opportunity as a church to see people move from death to life. Easter Sunday is the highest attended church day of the year. That means this, on Easter, a third of this house will be filled with people that don't know God in an intimate way. People are open to the gospel. I don't know why, I'm just the way that it is. So that means this, during the Easter season, we, Trinity Community Church, dump the tank and we do the very best that we can to align with God's heart. So beloved, we have a lot going on in the Easter season. Um, To take you down what's going on, the first thing we're doing is this. We have this thing that we're doing this year called Community Candy Crush. How many of you have played Candy Crush on your phone? You wore out your screen, you broke your screen, right? Um, We're going to do this thing that's absolutely bananas. How many of you know that God has called you to share your faith? Go into all the world and make disciples. Pastor, that's just not my thing. It has to be your thing. If If you're a devoted follower of Christ, it has to be your thing. So we created this mechanism to make it easier for you. Outside, there's some tables out there, and we created these little candy little bags that have some literature on them, and they're just designed simply for you to take one and give it to a neighbor and say, man, we love you, God loves you, love to invite you to church, and that's it. Then you just pray for them. We're asking everybody in this house to take two candy bags over the next six weeks and just find two neighbors, friends, coworkers, family members, whatever it is, give them a bag of candy and commit yourself to pray for them every day that they would come to encounter God's love, power, and presence, and they would come to our Easter stuff. Invite them to the Easter egg hunt, invite them to the way, invite them to our Easter services, whatever it is. As a church, we could do this, right? 
How many of you know, I don't, I'm not like a mathematician. If all of us bring somebody to church next week, we would double. It's true. I know, mind's blown, right? It's true. I want to encourage you. Use this as a strategic way that you could bring people into the kingdom. How many of you know somebody in your life right now that doesn't know Christ? This is your opportunity to invite and to pray them into the kingdom. So in the words of Nike, just do it. So we have the community candy crush. Pick two out there. before you, When you leave today, grab some candy off the table. Invite them. The second thing we have going on, which is absolutely bananas, is our community Easter egg hunt. Um, guys, I have no idea what's in store. You know, last year we had about, about 3,000, 3,500 people here. This year we opened registrations on Monday, this last Monday. The registrations were open for 24 hours. And in that 24 hours, the first day, we had 500 registrants. 500. The event is five weeks away. Pray. We don't seem to have a problem getting people to come here. Pray that we can handle the, the, the harvest that God is bringing. Now that means this. With all those things, we need your help. We need candy. We need candy-filled eggs. You can actually buy eggs that are filled with candy. We are shooting for 20,000 eggs this year. 20,000. Now, these aren't the eggs that are in your fridge. These are the plastic eggs with candy and goodness in them. And do me a favor. Don't put, like, terrible candy in those eggs. You know, I lived on the bit of honeys. They'll live on the bit of honeys. Don't do that. If you're going to put a bit of honey in there, put in there a little card for a dental visit, too. Okay? We need candy-filled eggs. We need, we need giveaways. We need bikes. We need scooters. We need skateboards. We need stuffed animals. We need you. We need your help. So when we get done, go out there, sign up to do a slot. It's going to be absolutely bananas. It's going to be beautiful. How many of you have been a part of one of our, our events before, whether it's Family Fest or the Egg Hunt? How many of you know how amazing it is? So do me a favor. Sign up today. We need your help. Then we moved to Good Friday. Last year we did this crazy thing for Good Friday called The Way. How many of you had an opportunity to go through The Way? It's an interactive type of stations at the cross. It's completely interactive. It's amazing. It's the story of Christ and redemption. We just turn our creatives loose. You touch things. You smell things. You taste things. It's absolutely incredible. Last year we did it in-house. We didn't really announce it outside the house because we wanted to see how it would work. And it was bananas. This year... We're dropping the nets. We're going to invite our community here. What do we need for that? We need hosts. We need creators. If you've got any interest at all, if you're creative, if you like to, to present the gospel in different and crazy ways in station form, see Robin Harris. She'll get you connected. We need your help. And then last but not least, we have our Easter services coming up on April the 17th. This is a great opportunity for you to invite your friends, your neighbors, your loved ones, your enemies, anybody to come experience God to come experience life. This year we're calling our Easter services thirst. How many of you know that all of us were created with a thirst for something? You know, we spend a lot of our lives trying to figure things out to quench that thirst, and we don't realize sometimes that the only thing that quenches that thirst is the Creator, it's God. I can promise you this, if you've ever been to any of our big services, that day, they, people, they, whoever you bring, will get a clear presentation of who Christ is, and they'll have an opportunity to move from death to life. Easter's going to be bananas. We, um, again, we may have undershot what may be happening. On that day, we'll be in full overflow. We're expecting 1,200 people that day. 1,200 people. All because of you. Inviting God. So we need hosting help that day. We need help. So throughout all of our Easter outreaches, these next six weeks, we're anticipating impacting over 10,000 people. If you add all of these events together, that's incredible. We cannot do that without your help. So there's ways that we need you to help us. Um, one of the ways is this. This is you know, something that I've always been passionate about, is that all of these things that we do for the community have to be absolutely free. There's no strings attached. I can't tell you how many times come to the, uh, you know, we had a family that actually came to a family fest last year. And their family brought them in, and they said, how much does it cost to get in? It's free. They said, ah, they're going to ding us on the food. So they came in and they went to get food. How much is the food? It's free. Ah, they're going to ding us on the games. How much does it cost to play the games? Nothing. It's free. Where are they going to ding us? We're not here to ding you. We're here to love you. We are. Do you know how we can make that happen? With your help. So this is what we're asking. We had about 140 giving families in our church. That means there's 140 families that, that tithe regularly and give regularly. 
We're setting our budget this year for $13,500 to do all four events. Um, we had to adjust it a little bit because how many of you know food's a little more expensive? This is, these are full service events for everything. That means this. If each one of us could figure out a way over the next six weeks to give $100 extra, just $100, over, this is not your tithing, this is, this is an offering, the event will be fully funded and it'll be free for everybody. How many of you know that we can do this together as a church? Now, let me make this clear. This is not for this house. This is for our community. Every penny, every dime, every cent goes out there. It's where it goes. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to pray. Some of you can give more than 100 bucks. Whatever God tells you to do, do it. Some of you can't give $100. Whatever God tells you to do, do it. But I would ask this. All of you, all of us need to give something. So just pray right now. Say, Lord, what would you have me give? All right. There's lots of ways you can give. There's a QR code. You can go to the next slide, I think. There's a QR code on the screen if you want to do that. There's QR code stations out there. Give online, write a check, do whatever you think the Lord's asking you to do. Okay? Now the most important part of everything. You always save the best for last. Uh, none of this stuff happens. None of this stuff is effective unless we pray. I had an old mentor tell me this one time. And you've heard me say this. How many of you know that we pass along what's been poured into us? This is why it's always important that you connect with people that can pour into you. He said this. He says, you know, a praying church is an effective church. And he told me this. He says, prayer is the gasoline in the engine of the church. We can make all the plans that we want, but if we don't pray, none of it means anything. Prayer moves the hearts of God, and it moves the heart of people. It does. So starting tomorrow, we're launching a 40-day prayer guide initiative, a prayer initiative. That means this. Before our events... Trinity Community Church will be praying daily and fasting weekly for 40 days to see God's love, power, and presence fulfilled. So how do you get a hold of your prayer guides? We have them in different forms. One, you can get them paper like this. They're out there. You can also, if you want to just download the PDF, you can scan that right now. You get the whole PDF sent down to you. And now we're doing also something that's kind of, kind of crazy. It's brand new. Uh, you have a text option as well. That means this. If you hit the QR code, you will get the daily prayer text every day. There's a little prayer section. It's like a little devotional thing. It's got a little title. It's got a scripture. It's got specific things to pray for. So if you're a text person, this is for you. If you go out to the tables, you'll see some of the QR codes out there too. If you can pick one thing to do through all these things, pray. Pray that God would move. I, this is how I'm believing. I'm believing that we'll see 100 people move from death to life over the next six weeks. I'm not talking about 100 people from other churches coming in here. I'm talking about 100 people that were dead that will become fully alive. That's what I'm praying for. Why? Because God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the mission of the church, to see God promoted. Are you with me, Trinity? Let's get it done. It's funny when we talk about these things, and I talk about this stuff to other pastors. They think we're nuts. I'm like, that's crazy. One of those things is nuts. To do four things, why? Because lost people matter to God and they matter to us. They do. All right, let's get rolling now. You got enough of the, uh, the launch. I love the spring. It reminds me of all kinds of stuff. I told you the story before. My, my father was a man of the earth. We had greenhouses and gardens growing up. He loved stuff. And I, I remember every springtime, um, you know, you'd see life, but I also would anticipate what it takes to see you know, people enjoy flowers and stuff like that. How many of you know that farming is hard work? Yeah. Flowers is hard work. There's a lot of things you got to do when it comes to farming and things that are not pleasant. And I remember every year, again, as part, we had the greenhouse, so we were growing stuff before the seasons of outdoor stuff were happening. Um, I remember somewhere between, you know, April and, you know, beginning of April and beginning of May, my dad would say, okay, it's special Saturday. And I knew what that meant. Special Saturday was when my father would get truckloads of manure delivered to our house. Now, how many remember your teenage years? Remember when you were a teenager and everything your parents did embarrassed you? Yeah. <laughs> the way they dressed embarrassed you? Toby John Harris, ushers, can we take care of this boy, please? <laughs> the way they dressed embarrassed you, the way they ate, the way they spoke embarrassed you. So imagine as a kid growing up on your street, and knowing that every time somewhere in April and May, you were getting a truckload 
of manure dumped in your driveway for all of your friends on the block to see, for all of the friends in your block to smell manure. It was great. And I remember every year we'd do the same thing. We'd have to bucket it out. We'd bucket it. We had wheelbarrows. We'd take it from the front all the way to the greenhouses in the back. Just me and my father. And it ended up being me because my dad would disappear. And I remember asking my dad, saying, Dad, why do we have to deal with all this stuff? Why do you have to always get manure? Why do you have to embarrass me? Why do we even do this stuff? My dad would tell me this. He'd say, son, the manure gives the soil what it needs to feed the plants. It gives it the nutrients, all the stuff that it needs. And he would teach me about life through the plants in the greenhouse. He said this, every plant is designed to not just survive, but to grow and to be fruitful, to flourish. And then he would tell me this all the time, healthy things grow. God designed us, if we're healthy, to grow. Every plant that he designed us the same way. God did not just design us to survive. He created us not just for life, but for abundant life. Not just to barely make it, but to flourish. That's how we're built. So this entire month, we're going to look at what it looks like for us to flourish in our faith. How many of you would admit that every once in a while, your faith is dry? Every once in a while, you almost lose your way. Every once in a while, you look up into the heavens, and you're like, Lord, hello, can you see me? Our faith is built on ebb and flow. So what does it look like for us to have a thriving faith? Well, if you want to have a faith that thrives, one of the things that your faith has to have, one of those components is it has to be adaptable. It has to be flexible. There's this beautiful term called rigid flexibility. You have to be rigid enough to not be moved, but flexible enough to sway in the seasons. Everything's built on seasons. Um, I remember when we lived uh, out in Colorado, one of the things that we like to do is we like to hike and camp. And they have this thing in Colorado, these, they're called 14ers. How many of you know what I'm talking about when I talk about a 14er? These are mountains that they have there that are above 14,000 feet. Um, so one of the, the fun pastimes if you live in Colorado is to climb a 14er. Now some are, are easy, like Mount, Mount Everett, it was, it's, you know, or Mount Evans, excuse me. You, know, you drive almost completely up to the top of this mountain and then you walk another 45 minutes, half hour, and you're at the top. You're like, I climbed a 14er. You didn't climb a 14er, you drove it. I think they even had a snack bar up the top. Come on, if you've got a snack bar at the top, this is not an epic, you know, Himalayan journey. But there are others that were tough. Um, we got, I told you one day, I'm sitting in my church office, and one of my older ladies came in. She said, Pastor, God spoke to me today. And I'm like, great. As a pastor, we want God to speak to you. I said, what did God tell you, Janie? God told me I needed to climb Mount Elbert. I went, oh. Now, Mount Elbert is the highest mountain in the Rocky Mountains. It's the second highest peak in the continental United States. It sits at 14,300 and some feet. I said, well, that's great, Jamie. You know, at that point, Jamie was probably 67. I said, God be with you. She said, yeah, but God told me something else. I said, what did God tell you, Jamie? God told me that you're supposed to come with me. I looked at her and said, Jamie, that is not Jesus Christ. My God doesn't speak like that. Talk to somebody else. But because I'm a nice guy, we ended up going and climbing a stupid mountain with this girl, Jamie. We did. So we put a little group out. This is us. Heading up the mountain, there's Robin contemplating her life. We got her talked into it as well. Now, when you think of like, you know, just climbing the mountains, you think of these beautiful things, but people don't realize once you break tree line, it's pretty desolate. So you can go to the next slide. Uh, this is us taking a break. Uh, there's Robin again, uh, probably plotting ways to kill me. <laughs> I don't know. Why are we doing it? You can go to the next. Oh, yeah, there she is right there. You can tell she was very happy with me taking pictures of the event. You can go to the next slide. So here we are up the mountain. We're not even close to the top. It looks lush. It looks like on all the magazine covers you see people hiking. Doesn't it look like that? It's not. This is us, Shravan, <laughs> thinking of ways to bury, where is she going to bury my body after me talking her into this? You can go to the next slide. This is us heading up. Uh, Mount Elbert has, has three false peaks. That means this. You hit a peak, you're like, we're here, and you look over, there's another one. That happens three times until you get to the top. It's crazy. You can go to the next slide. This is us at the top. You can see Janie is on the left. Robin is on the right. Does she look like she has the joy of the Lord? I'm just asking for a friend, right? And you can go to the next slide. This is us sitting at the top resting. Um, so this is the interesting thing about, about the hike. One of the things you have to do if you're going to climb a 14er is you have to be prepared for extreme weather. One of the phenomena of, of climbing a mountain is mountains are so large, they can 
quote unquote, create their own weather patterns. I remember the morning of the hike, the hike took 13 hours. Think about that. You go up the mountain, you come down the mountain. You have to get to the top of the mountain no later than, than, than two. If you don't, then you're in big trouble. We got to the mountain about four, the top, so we, we were in trouble. I remember when we left, there was frost on the ground, so it was in the 30s. Through the 13-hour hike, we experienced freezing rain, and then the, day, the day's high got to 75. It was 75 and sunny, but we started out with frost and freezing rain. As you got to the top, you could see it was very desolate, so we experienced uh, extreme winds. As we were coming down, it started to hail, so we were pelted with ice. It's a great day, isn't it? And eventually, we got off the mountain. We started, it was dark. We got off the mountain, when it was dark. So the temperatures plummeted again into the low 40s as we got off the mountain and got to the camp. In the same day, we experienced everything short of snow, all in the same day. Now imagine you got to hike 13 hours, 14,000 feet, and you got to try to pack enough gear to accommodate all those different weather patterns. Beloved, you can't. It's almost impossible unless your pack's going to be 50, 60 pounds. So the bottom line is this. We were not prepared for the extreme differences in the weather. We weren't prepared to experience every season in the same day. And this is what happened. The changes just wrecked us. By the time we got off that mountain, man, I never thought I didn't want to look at a mountain ever again. I was sick of it. I was tired. I was cold. And I, dare I say I was maybe a little miserable. That car ride home was not a good car ride. Why? Because we weren't prepared. We weren't prepared for all the seasons. Do you know that your life, our lives, is just, it's just a set of seasons? And just like the mountain we climbed, if you don't navigate each season correctly, each season that God brings you into, it will wreck you. How many of you know that God is the author of the season? He is. And there's beauty in every season. We can learn something in every season. But I know this when it comes to seasons. The gear of the previous season, old season's gear, will not help you in the new season. It just doesn't. You can have a beautiful fur coat, and that fur coat may help you when it's 30 degrees, but when it's 75 and sunny, that beautiful coat that keeps you warm stifles you and keeps you from living to your full potential. The old season's gear will not help you in the new season. The Bible has something to say about seasons. And how you and I are supposed to approach the seasons of our life in order to, to thrive. Because what's the goal? To survive now. The goal is for us to flourish. If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18. If you have our app, you can click on our app and you get all my notes. If you have the U version of the Bible, look for live events, look for TCC, you get all my notes. If you're on Facebook, check in, Instagram. Take a flattering picture, please. This is not my good site. This is better. It's a familiar passage. All of us have probably read it. We've probably all seen it on a greeting card. I want to encourage you today. I want you to drink in this passage. Eugene Peterson, the guy that translated and did the, the, the Message Bible, he wrote this, this, this little book called Eat This Book. And he said this, the Bible was not meant to be read. It was meant to be consumed. You get it inside of you, and it, it, it takes on life inside of you. So I want you to do that this morning as we read this passage. Let this get inside of you and become something. Isaiah 43, 18 through 19 says this. Stop dwelling in the past. Don't even remember these former things. I'm doing something brand new, something unheard of. Even now it sprouts and grows and matures. Don't you perceive it? I'll make a way in the wilderness and open up flowing streams in the desert. What a beautiful passage. Can you hear the heart of God and his strength in it? So what can we learn from this passage when it comes to navigating the new seasons of our life, grabbing on to the new and moving away from the old? The first is this. You have to release the old. You can't take on the new unless you release the old. You can't have both. Now, sometimes we hang on to the old a bit too tightly. Sometimes we get stuck in the past for good or for bad. Sometimes, not just in life, in your faith, we get stuck in the past. Now understand this, beloved. It's good to be able to look back and to see God's faithfulness in the history of your walk with Him. But the faith you and I live today 
is not the faith that you lived 20 years ago. It's different. God interacting with you today is different than how he interacted with us 20, 30, 40 years ago. It's just different. Why? Because you're not stagnant. You aren't the same person you used to be. How many of you, you know, remember 20 years ago? Some of you weren't even, Toby's like, well, that, that, that's, I was negative too. How many remember 20 years ago? How many of you in this room can get into a pair of pants that you wore 20, and they can't be yoga pants, and they can't be, you know, you know what are they, they can't be the joggers. How many of you can get into a pair of jeans that you had 20 years ago? I mean, with, without fear of them, you know, blowing out seams and buttons and stuff. We're not the same person we used to be, right? We're just not. Um, we have to be careful that we don't get stuck in the past, even when it comes to our faith. Look at the passage again. This is what, again, this is what we learn in Isaiah 18, stop dwelling on the past. Don't even remember these former things. It's a pretty strong statement from God. So what do we take from that? If you want to move forward in your faith, you have to let go of the past things that hold you back. Not everything in your past holds you back, but how many of you know you got some things in your past that hold you back? Do any of you ever wrestle with the thoughts of the past? The decisions of the past? The oops of the past? We have to let go of all those things that hold us back. In fact, here's the reality of the past. The past unchecked can really mess with your now. It can mess with your future if you let it. Our past sometimes can even grow beyond what really happened. It, take on, you know, it takes on a life of its own. Have you ever noticed that you know, the past good old days were the good old days? And the older you get, the better they get. Remember the good old days? You know, The older I get, the better I was. Right? I remember, you know, I was an athlete in high school. The older I get, the better I was. You know, why do we get better as, as it gets older? Because there are less people to verify our accomplishments. Either they die or they just don't know, right? So, you know, we can, we can you know, expand on our exploits when it comes to the good. Ah, the good old days. Remember the good old days when we didn't have medicine? We didn't have technology? Now, I, sometimes I do long for the days of not having technology, Right? How many remember the days when your phone was connected to the wall? Right? You didn't carry your phone around with you, let alone look at pictures. That was in comic books and things, right? You know, the good old days, they were great when we couldn't, you know, when, we, we, when people suffered. We do the same thing with the bad, though, too, don't we? Sometimes the further we move into the future, our, bad, our past gets worse and it gets worse. It does. You know, we think about the hardships of the past. Um, one of the things that I've really enjoyed about as far as being a father, is I get to, to, to give my children what my parents gave me. And some of that is, is, you know, the understanding of how we had it so much worse than they did. Right? The older you get. I mean, how many of you remember your parents telling you how they went to school? You know, we went to school in 12 feet of snow, in May, uphill, both ways, right? <laughs> You know, chupacabras taking kids out. We, didn't, we had no buses, we had camels, and somehow we lived it, and somehow we're grateful for that experience. I don't understand why we're grateful for that experience. It gets worse and worse and worse. It does, right? It gets worse and it gets terrible. But they wouldn't trade it for the world, right? Because what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. As people, we have to be careful uh, that we don't get stuck in the old, whether it's good or bad. As churches, beloved, we cannot get stuck we cannot be stuck in what we used to be. We can't. We have to be what God wants us to be now. Trinity Community Church has to be who God wants Trinity to be now, today. Why? Because the church needs the church of today. The world needs the church of now to help people now be free. You can't do that with old wineskins. You can't do that with old stuff. So it's important for us as a church to figure out what God wants us to do now. I'm all for tradition. You know my story. I grew up in orthodoxy. There is beauty in orthodoxy. There's beauty in tradition. But beloved, if we're not in step with what God's doing with us now, as a church, we're ineffective and we're not accomplishing our core mission. Bless you. This is why we always pray, Lord, help us to be in alignment with your heart. We always have to do that. So what keeps us as people in churches from being what God wants us to be. What keeps us stuck in the past? Well, there's a few things. First is our identity. 
Do you know that your past helps to shape your identity? Who you are today, part of that is a product of your past. Your past is a main catalyst for all those things. For example, some of you are here today and you're stuck. You've been stuck for 10, 20, 30 years because of something that happened in your past that you allowed to define you. The enemy loves to take things like that in our past, our failures. He loves to take your failure and magnify it and put it right in the center of your head. He loves to take your failures and use them as roadblocks to keep you from your future. Do you know where the past lives today? Between your ears. The enemy loves to get you hyper-focused on all of your shortcomings and all the things that happened to you in the past. Whether they're things that you've done or things that others have done to you. Sometimes that past pain can, can reshape you, push you in different directions. Have you ever noticed that pain pushes you into directions that you don't want to go in? If you've never encountered that, let me encourage you. Do this little exercise at the house. Get a Lego from one of your kids or borrow it from one of the neighbor kids. Stick it on your steps. Forget about it. Step on it on your, in your bare feet at 3 in the morning and tell me how you react. Pain makes you do weird things. It makes you do things that really aren't you. And pain in the past left unhealed. Move you from being victorious in Christ into being a victim. Some of you have been a victim for too long. It's time to be free. It's time to stand up. It's time to be strong. Don't let your lowest moments define you. With Christ, you can break free from your past. Now, I understand that, you know, your past, not only does it give you identity sometimes with your failures and your pain, but can also set boundaries in your life. Some are healthy and some that aren't, that aren't healthy at all. Um, it keeps you in the harbor instead of letting you go out to the ocean. Um, I've told you before, I like to go outside. I'm an outdoor person. Love to camp. Love to put on backpacks. Now, being part of the outdoor stuff, you would think that I would have a natural affinity to outdoor animals. Uh, I did not. In fact, one of the animals I would love to get to know a little better, but just have never had good experiences with them, are horses. How many of you love horses? I remember the first time I had an experience... To, to encounter a horse. I was 10 years old. I was an Indian guide. Is there any Indian guides in the house? There we go. We were like a cheap version of the, of the, of the Boy Scouts. We didn't, have the, we didn't have the shirts and the patches. We had little vests and we had a feather. True, isn't it? My Indian guide name was Running Deer. I didn't run anywhere, <laughs> but I was Running Deer. And I remember that uh, we went on a horseback ride. I was young. I'd never been on a horse before. So they looked at me. I was always a chunky Greek kid, so I was a chunkier kid. So they put me on a horse. My first experience on a horse, the name of the horse, it was a, it was a, it was a black horse. The name of the horse, I'm not making this up, was Darth Vader. <laughs> Who would put a 10-year-old boy on a horse named Darth Vader? But that's where they put me. And we're on our little trail thing, and I was on Darth Vader, just sitting there praying, oh, Lord, please do not let him go to the dark side of the force. Please, Lord. And you know what Darth Vader did? Took off, did whatever, you know, you know the force is strong. With it. Just took off right into the woods. And I'm, I'm ducking through trees, and it took them about 10 minutes to find me. And they had to wrestle Darth Vader down, and I hopped off Darth Vader. That was my first experience with the horse. So you know, I was convinced that maybe that's just not the best thing, but there's other good experiences you could have. So a few years later, again, another Indian guy trip. I'm getting on another horse. My dad's like, we're going to break this fear you have, son. I'm like, okay, dad. So we got another horse. The next horse that I rode, her name was Big K. She was the biggest horse they had, and they called her Big K because she was a little surly. She, she was uh, not a very nice horse. So I remember sitting there, and they told me that the lady goes, pull back on the reins and let Big, Big K know who's boss. So I pulled back on the reins, and Big K... Big K put her head down and flipped me off the front of the horse. And I said, apparently Big K's in charge. <laughs> then I was getting back on Big K as I was doing that. Big K turned around and bit me in the leg. Have you ever been bit by a horse before? It's scary. It's really scary. So needless to say, I was not a horse fan. So fast forward, oh, about, about 15 years. I'm with the family and we're in... Um, Big Sky, Montana. Toby is, uh, you know, he's just born. He's a few months old. And Tyler and Tori are, uh, are little munchkins. And they 
They have one request of me. Dad, is there any way that we could go horseback riding in Big Sky, Montana? And I look them in the eyes, they say, no. Because <laughs> horses are filled with the devil. No. The only one that's been controlled is the one that Jesus comes back on. And even that one, if you read the Bible, it's a mean looking horse. So finally, I, I say, okay, I, I got to suck this up and make this thing happen. So we get to Big Sky, Montana, and I'm sitting there, you know, I feel even weird saying it, but, you know, the, the lady was there watching me, and I'm kind of standing in the back, and she's like, are you okay with horses? I says, no. And I told her my story, you know, about Darth Vader and Big K. And, and she looked at me, and she just smiled, and she says, listen, man, she goes, you just had a few bad experiences with a few crazy horses. She says, this is my goal today. We're going to give you a good experience with a good horse. I said, okay. So I, I crawled up on that horse and we had a great time. This is us. Can you believe that that's Tyler and Tori right there? Tori's got the cute little hat. Those poor horses, right? <laughs> Tag is the top of the mountain, right? That one good experience expanded my boundaries and now I can tolerate horses. I don't know if I'm going to be riding in the, you know, in the meadow like the last of the Mohicans with long hair. I don't know if I'm going to do that or not. But it, it reshaped everything for me. Don't let your back... Past experiences define you. Don't let your bad past experiences define you. Don't let your bad past experiences with churches define you. Beloved, as churches, we mess up. We screw up. Why? Because we're human. Don't let that hold you back from investing your heart and your life into what God's doing now. I don't know how else to tell you this. God designed the church to be the bride of Christ. We are the delivery system for the gospel. He made it, not me. The church is the hope of the world. They should be able to see us and we should be able to lead them to Christ. So if you had a bad experience with the churches, don't let that hem you in. Don't be defined by those experiences and don't be defined by your lowest moments either. And by the way, don't define others by their lowest moments either. Now I know that we're such a good church, we never do that. We don't have secret names and filing systems in our head of how we categorize people, right? We're way beyond that. We're mature. We were singing about it today. Nothing but the blood, right? Do me a favor. Don't do that. This is a house of redemption. It's a house of grace, right? Some of you are like, maybe, I don't know. So let your identity be rooted and formed in Christ, not your past. This is what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, But you're not like that, for you're a chosen people, a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This is your identity now in Christ. This is Ephesians 2.10. For we're God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he's planned for us long ago. Beloved, this is God speaking about you. Receive it. Let him shape you. When we're rooted in Christ, our identity is in him and we're new. But sometimes we still struggle. Why? Well, because it's not just our identity that keeps us from letting things go. But there's another thing that we wrestle with. Uncertainty. How many of you know that we'll stay in the same familiar, terrible situation because at least we know what we're going to get for that. Sometimes we'll stay in the muck and the mire and the junk instead of stepping out because we don't know what's going to happen out there. It's scary. Uncertainty is a big thing because as people, we hate the unknown. We hate uncertainty. For example, how many of you can decide within 22 seconds you know, of a family, where you're going to eat on a night where you're going out for dinner. How many of you are brave enough in the car to say, okay, where do you guys want to go eat? If you got 12 people in the car, you got 12 different opinions. Mickey D's, Mickey D's, right? And people start screaming. And what do you end up doing almost all the time? You almost go to the same place you always go to. Why? It's familiar. I know what I'm going to get. At least three days a week. This is the same experience I have with my wife. Our offices are at the well. So we'll go downstairs and we'll have lunch. I know what my wife is going to eat. I know what she's going to order. I know what she's going to end up with. But every time we go down there, we go through the same routine. My wife looks at the menu and she goes, ooh, the po' boy, what's that? And they'll tell her, she goes, no. 
Oh, the defibrillator, what's that? And they'll go there, no. And I just sit there, I'm like, we know what you're going to get. People down the road know what you're going to get every day. You know, not every day. When she works, she gets a cheesesteak with mayonnaise on it. That's it. A little small cheesesteak and tater tots, extra crispy. And literally, whoever's back there, they'll punch it in and just wait for her to talk. <laughs> I think just today, I'm just going to go with the cheesesteak. We're all shocked. Now, do you know why she does that? Because she knows what she's going to get from that. She's afraid to step out into something new. She's afraid to, because why? Why are we afraid to step out into something new? Because we might be what? Disappointed. We know what we get with the normal stuff, but we don't know about the unknowns. All of us are afraid of the unknowns. Sometimes one of the reasons that you're spiritually stuck and you won't move from where you are now to where God wants you to be is because you don't know what's going to happen out there. Well, what if it's scary? What if I fail? What if it's different? I guess I'm going to it's going to be all those things, but it doesn't matter where God's calling you to go. As long as he's with you, it's going to be fine. Because it's not about the destination. It's still about the goodness of God. He's not going to call you someplace where he's going to leave you. Now, he may have you try something other than a cheesesteak, but he's not going to leave you. We're afraid sometimes to step into the new because we're afraid it's going to be worse than what we have. Beloved, you cannot grab onto God's best if you're not willing to let go of things that are lesser. We hold on to these things that are lesser, and God has so much more for us. When it comes to your faith, your faith is limitless. Do you understand that? Your faith is limitless. What can't God do with your life? The next Billy Graham could be sitting in here right now. The next Paul could be sitting in here right now. Do you know that? What makes Paul or Billy Graham different than you? Yes. Yes. Where do you want me to go, Lord? What do you want me to do, Lord? Yes, that's what separates us. This is what Philippians 3, 13 and 14 says. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. We let go of the past and we head to the future with God. Beloved, following Christ is the greatest adventure you'll ever have in your life. So don't settle for, uh, for the familiar. Don't settle for the safe. You were created to change the world. So just do it. Change the world. Step out. Some of you are bored with your faith because you're staying in the harbor and you were never made for the harbor. You were made for the open seas. So get out there. Do something. You can't change the world and be hunkered down. Step out. So again, in order to walk into your new season and flourish, the first thing you have to do is you have to release the old things. Is there something that you need to let go of today? Bow your heads for one second. We're going to pause. Talk to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to you just like he speaks to me. Ask him, say, Lord, are there things that you're asking me to let go of? And listen to what he tells you. They might be old mindsets. They may be old fears. They may be old ways that you see yourself. Let them go. All right, let's finish up. So the first thing we have to do if we want to be able to navigate the new season that God has for us, is you have to let go of the old. You have to be prepared for the season that's in front of you. The second thing you have to do is this. We have to be willing to receive the new. Look at the passage again. Verse 19 says this. I'm doing something brand new, something unheard of. Even now it sprouts and it grows and matures. Don't you perceive it? I'll make a way in the wilderness and open up flowing streams in the desert. Don't you perceive it? I love that. So how do we position ourselves to receive the new things that God has for us in this new season? It all comes down to your perception. What you perceive, what you know. I've told you this before, I'm a word nerd. So the, the, the Hebrew word here for perceive 
is this little word called yada. Now, yada is defined as this. It means to know. But yada does not mean like to know in an intellectual sense of the word. We're not talking about head knowledge. We're talking about heart knowledge. We're talking about intimacy. Yada. Now, yada is the same word that was used in Genesis 4.1. This is the first instance in Scripture where, where God is talking about the intimacy of a covenant relationship between Adam and Eve. Genesis 4.1 says this, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, Yada. Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Yada, the same word we see here is for perceiving in Isaiah, seeing the new things that God's doing. So what does all this mean? means this, you cannot know the new thing that God is doing in your life if you're unconnected to him, if you don't know him intimately, if you don't have an intimate relationship with him. Sometimes in churches, we focus on head knowledge. If you want to see shift and change in your life, if you want to know that you're in step with the spirit of God in your life, you have to move from your head and put the head knowledge into your heart. That's the only way this works. This isn't about all the things that you can consume in your head. This is about all the things in your heart that you know. You know it to be true. Have you ever had a gut thing in your heart? And even though you're looking at stuff, you're like, this doesn't make sense, but in my heart, I know this is what I'm supposed to do. And you do it and it's right. That's what this is. It's heart knowledge, intimacy. It's the heart of God that you have an intimate relationship with him. A deep connection. You see, it's from that connection that we recognize in the Spirit what God wants to do in our life now, today, not yesterday, today. You can see churches and people that are stuck and they don't know what to do now. You can tell why they don't know what to do because they're not connected to the vine. You have to be connected to the vine to know what God wants you to do now. You love me, right? You have to. Jesus said you had to. Some of you are frustrated and you struggle because you're trying to draw water from old dry wells. You're trying to draw water from the past. Anytime we, you and I face uncertainty, we go back to what's familiar. God's not calling us to the familiar. He's calling us to the now. God, what are you doing now? But we go to those old wells and we try to, we drop these old dusty buckets and we pull up sand instead of life-giving water. And we wonder sometimes why our faith seems like it's drying up and dying. And we wonder why sometimes our churches are drying up and they're dying. We're digging old wells. We're getting water from old wells and God has new things for us. You cannot look backward to see what God's doing in front of you. You can't look backward and walk forward. I mean, you can, but it's dangerous and you're probably going to lose your way. So let me encourage you, beloved. Find the wells, you know, dig now the new wells with God. Find out what he's doing now. Find out where the river is flowing now. You can't hear God. You can't flow with him. You cannot be in his will and his heart if you don't know him. You have to know him. Yada. To know him. Be connected. John 15, 5 says this. I'm the sprouting vine and you're my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are what? Powerless. The world needs a church today that is filled with power. If not us, who? The Bible tells us this. We battle not against flesh and blood but powers and principalities. Your enemy is not a person. Your enemy is the darkness. And if you as a church, if we as a church does not rise, who pushes back the enemy? And beloved, I'm not talking about us marching and doing all those other things. And there's places for that. What I'm talking about is the true power of the church. That thing that's inside of you, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead that lives in you, the thing inside of you that makes demons flee. That's what I'm talking about. It makes, you know, broken bones come back together. Broken lives come back together. That's the power of the church. That's God's heart for us. It is. We get that. We're fruitful. 
when we're connected to the vine. He's the vine, we're the branches. It's from that connection that we flourish, we produce fruit, we grow, and we're able to perceive the new things that God has for us. Yada. Now, beloved, <laughs> we're about ready to step out into some things as a church that are just bananas. We're attempting to engage thousands of people with the life-giving gospel of Christ. We can't do that as a church unless we're ready to step into what God has for us now. We can't take old manna. We can't take old wine. We can't drop buckets into dusty wells and expect to accomplish the, God, the task that God has for us now with those things. We can't do any of these things unless we allow God to put to rest our old fears, our old limitations, our old wineskins so we can grab a hold of what God's doing with us now. The church is more than a building. It's more than a pastor. You understand, I am not the church. I am part of the church. Today we join together. Now, one of my brothers this morning sent me an interesting text. He said, man, he goes, I had this vision. I saw these, these, these snowshoes, these feet with these snowshoes. You ever been in snowshoes? You ever walk in snow that was so deep that if you didn't have snowshoes, you go right, right in? And you pray to God that the dogs find you? I've been there. How do snowshoes work? They, they, they spread the weight of your body over a greater surface. They do. We can accomplish more as we spread the weight of what God wants us to do. When each one of us, the living stones that are part of the church, rise up and we do what God's asking us to do. We can do more together than we could ever think about doing apart from each other. This is the season. This is the time. God takes our gifts. He takes our talents. He mixes them together. He focuses us. And the kingdom of darkness shakes. A powerful church is a scary church. So what are you going to do? What are you going to be? Are you going to sit this one out? Are you going to stand up, dig in, and embrace the new season? If you want to do that, you have to let, get, let, you have to let go of the old things. Allow God to redefine you. And then you have to take a hold of the new. It's time to take a chance. Time to take a step. Bow your heads with me. We took a pause earlier about letting things go. Here's our last and our final pause. Talk to the Holy Spirit. Ask God. Say, Lord, what is the new thing you want me to step into? Listen to what the Spirit tells you. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.